you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Hebrews. Wednesday night is Bible study time. And certainly I want to make your trip to the house of God worthwhile. I never come here uh, with anything uh, that is uh, less than what I could do my best in giving to you. And I come again tonight to share with you what I feel the Lord has been talking to me about for several weeks and I finally got all of it together in my mind and we started it last Wednesday. If you weren't here, you can get the CD and listen to it or you can go online. But I want to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 17 and 18 as our beginning place. 17 and 18 of Hebrews chapter 2. And if you have a Bible with you, you ought to say amen. If you don't, come and see me. I'll get you one. Don't trust everything that goes up there. Just I don't mean don't trust them, but you ought to have your own version of that. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 reads like this. Wherefore, everybody say wherefore. Everybody say wherefore. You know, I get worried when I announce my subject and eyes glass over. <laughs> People start rolling, they start rolling back in their head. I know I've got a challenge. I hope that's not the case tonight. But everybody again say, wherefore? Wherefore? Because of what has previously been stated. I don't have time to read it all, but you can read there of Jesus Christ coming as the better sacrifice and all of the things that are mentioned there. And because of that, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted. It's important that you tie that concept together. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. What a consolation and what an encouragement. The Bible speaks of him having suffered temptation. That means that it was not easy for certain and it was a trial of affliction, but he did it for us. He did it so that we might have an example and that we too might be able to get through the trials of our life. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I started last Wednesday night talking to you about the the temptations of our trials, and I hope that I can make myself clear tonight to you because I do worry sometimes that what's in here somehow doesn't get here and it doesn't get there. And so I hope that I'm not missing you tonight, but I, I have attempted to examine with you a subject that I feel is so vitally important to all of us. And it has to do with the trials of life. And <clears throat> trials within themselves are not good or bad. 
They are not, uh, uh, there's no evil content in the word that is used for trial. It is something that happens. It is an event in a person's life that can come out of or, or can produce out of them one thing or another. And so in, the, in talking about the trials of life, it is important for us to understand that they are unavoidable. Everybody say unavoidable. Amen. Everybody say unavoidable. Praise God. It's great to have a, 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 a wonderful blessing in your life, isn't it? Amen. Just thankful that it's not your kid. Amen. The trials of life, they are unavoidable and they are unstoppable. Doesn't matter how much you pray, talk in tongues, come to church, give, sacrifice, or if you don't do any of those things, you cannot avoid or can you stop trials from coming into your life. And they come to everybody. All of us here in this building tonight have experienced what we call trials or tests. It's not the trial that concerns me. What concerns me is the potential of what a trial can do to us or what it can do for us. And there is a difference between that. I want to say that again. What is concerning to me about our trials is that they have the potential to do things to us or do things for us. And you and I, by the way that we respond to those trials, determine whether it is done to us or it is done for us. And when I look around this room tonight, among all of you that sit here, I realize that we all have our share of trials. You could call it something else. You could call it troubles, or you could call it a test, or you could call it a commotion. I don't know how many of you have ever had a commotion in your life, but uh, that was one of my dad's favorite words. A commotion was going on. Turmoil, trembling. Toil or labor that is wearing in its effect upon you. Pressure. Anybody felt any pressure lately? Burdens. Tightness or a tight place. Agitations. Grieving situations or misfortunes. All of those things that I just mentioned to you are conveyed in the New Testament, when the Scripture talks to us about trials or tests, that is the definition of trials or tests. They are troubles or commotions. Uh, one uh, word that is used in the Greek actually speaks about boiling or rolling water, that uh, like a sea that has been agitated, that some event in your life that causes that kind of outcome. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in his second book, the 11th chapter, if you go read verse 23 through 27, he names there all of the things that he had been through, the trials that he had experienced, the beatings, the shipwreck, the abandonment, the, 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 the lying, 
uh, all of the things that people had done, the hostility of individuals. And then he said, even uh, the, the things that come on me as a responsibility of being a minister, all of those are mentioned there. And trials, they come in many different forms. They come by way of disappointments or they come through frustrations, or they come through misunderstandings, or they can come through unfulfilled dreams or unmet expectations. Our trials can come when we suffer loss, or we go through periods of loneliness in our life, or we wrestle with fears and doubt, or they come to us when we suffer criticism or persecution, or when we are in the midst of conflict. The sad part about our trials is not the trial, but many times what wears on us is the source of that trial. And oftentimes it is not our enemy that pricks us. It is those are it, the individuals that are closest to us oftentimes have the ability to hurt us the most. But it doesn't matter who you are or where you live, you are going to be tested in life. You're going you're gonna to go through a disappointment. You're going to suffer some frustrating situation. You're going to have some misunderstandings in your life. You're going you're gonna to wrestle with unfulfilled dreams or expectations that are not met. Or you're going to have to deal with conflict or people in your life that criticize you or they talk about you or they persecute you or you will wrestle with internal issues like fear and self-doubt and worry. Whatever the source, that trial is not there to destroy you. It is there to help develop you. It is there to help bring out of you what God knows is there, and it takes that in order to bring it out. And when they come from family or friends, or, or they could come from a job or a school or natural calamities or human hostility, they can even come from decisions that we make in our life. You know, when you make a decision in your life, it affects other people, and some people don't like it when you decide to do right. They love it when you do wrong. They love it when you are willing to skip uh, over the law and ignore the obligations of experience in life. But when you decide to do the right thing, it's amazing how many people will shut you out and they don't want to have anything to do with you. So trials are part of life and they are parcel of the human experience. Listen to what Job said. I just want to give you a few scriptures and then we're going to get into what the bulk of my message is tonight. But Job said, he said in, in chapter 3 verse 26, I thought it was interesting. One translation he said, I was not lazy, but trouble came anyway. I was not a sloth or I was not unconcerned or I was not unprepared, but trouble came into my life. Anyway, in Job 5 verse 6, he said, Don't blame fate when things go wrong, for trouble doesn't come from nowhere. It's human. Mortals are born and bred for trouble as certainly as the sparks fly upward. 
in Job 14 and 1, he said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. So life is full of it. And life is filled with trials and adversities and tests. We experience them on a daily basis. And do what you will, you cannot avoid trouble in life. It will show up. It will find your address. The creditor might not be able to find you. And the IRS might not be able to find you. But trouble will find you. Amen. You may hide from your friends, but you're not going to hide from trouble. Paul said, I have trouble on every side. That's the way all of us in life have to understand. It's going to be everywhere, and it can come from any quarter. And we know that all trials are not life-threatening, but they do at times push our life to the limit because they affect the quality of our life. They affect the, the, the peace and the joy and the contentment. And I'm not saying all that to depress you. I'm just saying that the trials are part and parcel of life. And they are meant for good. But many times they have an adverse effect upon us. They are not penalties. This is something I want to make clear to you tonight. Trials are not penalties in life that God brings against us because we're not doing right or we're not pure enough or we're not holy enough or we're not whatever enough. God doesn't penalize us in life by making us go through trials. And they are not punishment, though they can become a form of punishment. If we respond wrongly, they are not designed to punish us. They are designed to develop us. They are sent as a test of validity. I thought it was interesting that a diamond, there, there are many uh, substitutes that have that have, that man has been able to produce that look like and they are great imitations of a diamond there are all kinds of 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 things that men have been able to come up with but there is a test by which they can determine whether that's a real rock or it's just uh what do they call that uh fake diamond yeah that's it and the test is, they call it the water test. And they take a diamond or whatever is supposed to be a diamond and they immerse it in water and only the true diamond will sparkle as brightly in the water as it does in the sunlight. A synthetic one will be dull and tarnished and will show no shine or sparkle. So the water test could be the trial that I'm talking about. And God brings that into our life to show the validity and the worth and the integrity and to develop our lives into what God has said that we can be. And trials, they are simply difficulties or difficult things that God allows us to go through and to come into our life for the purpose of proving and strengthening our faith. And this is what I want you to get. It is how we respond to trials that is so telling. It's what a trial has the potential to do to us. It's what a trial has the potential of doing 
in our lives that is so telling. It's what we are tempted to do or what we are tempted to partake of or what we are tempted to say or what we are tempted to become in the midst of a trial that really affects the quality of our life. And all of us, everyone here have certain temptations in the midst of our trials. Amen. Everybody say a trial is a test. Amen. As you can well see tonight, trials are revealers. They are uh, things that show hidden faults or hidden weaknesses. They reveal character and attitudes. And what our trials are revealing about us is important because if we will pay attention, we can learn and grow and become a better person and our life can be enhanced by the knowledge that we gain. And somebody said amen. So here's what I've been trying to say. This is what I've gotten to. Every external thing that happens to you, hardship, trial, Test, adversity, pressure, burden, uh, hurt, misunderstanding, false hopes, whatever that external thing is that has happened to you has an internal effect upon you. You get that? An external event, that's the trial, it has an internal effect on you that we call a temp and enticement to take a road that will lead somewhere that we don't really want to go. And so I want to flesh out what I'm talking about for just a moment. But just, just imagine with me if you face the trial of an exam. That's the, that's the trial, an exam. The temptation might be to cheat on that exam. That's the external pressure, the test, the exam. And the internal issue that we, you wrestle with is whether to be honest and trustworthy and do the right thing and, and not try to find answers from somebody else. Or maybe the trial, and I hate to use this, but maybe if our trial is growing older, and not growing old, but growing older, the temptation would be to become bitter because the older you get, the harder life seems to get sometimes. Or if your trial was economic hardship, the temptation would be to become miserly or to covet or perhaps even push someone to the brink of stealing or being dishonest. If the trial was persecution, if someone was putting pressure on you and they were slandering you, then the temptation in our life would be to lash out at them and to pay back or to get back at them for what they have done or even it could degenerate into outright hatred and anger. If the trial was a difficult person, and I know none of y'all have any of those in your life, but if the trial were a difficult person, the temptation would be to write them off. The temptation would be to hurt them. 
the temptation would be to do them before they do you. Yeah. If you're dealing with hurtful, difficult people, the temptation would be to isolate them and to cut them off. If the trial in your life was an untimely loss of whatever portion that might be, then the temptation of that trial would be to question the goodness of God. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? With every trial, there is a temptation that we wrestle with. And so last Wednesday night, we began to look at what we consider the most known temptations of the Lord, and that were the temptation that he faced in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. And the first temptation that he faced was to give in to the flesh. And there were, uh, there were two others. And I don't want to spend time there because when I got to looking at it, I found that throughout his life, not just at the beginning or at the end, that's the next place people go. They go to Calvary and the crucifixion and they say he was tested there. But when you get to looking at the life of Jesus, you find that he was tested for three and a half years and longer. There were certain things that happened to him that pressed him to react adversely or negatively or out of character with who he was. And so I want to share a few of those with you tonight. First of all, Luke 19.41 talks about him being rejected of people that he loved and gave to unselfishly. Being rejected by people he loved and gave to unselfishly. The people closest to him were the ones that tried to hurt him. His own family, the people from his own community, did not even believe in him. Did they not say, is this not Joseph's son? Is this not Mary's son? Don't they live in our community? And he's telling us that he's the son of God? Those were the words that came from those that knew him the most. The people closest to you in life will often hurt you the most. And how easy it is when we have been rejected to then turn and reject. Or when we have been hurt to turn and hurt. Or when we have been done wrong to turn and do wrong. But you will never find one time in the ministry of Jesus where he adversely reacted to their attitude toward him. Listen, folks, even Jesus understood that you can't fix everybody's problem. So quit worrying a wart on your head trying to fix somebody's problem that they may not want fixed. People will reject you just like they rejected Jesus. You don't have a personality that's invincible to that. There are people that will walk away from you. This is what I have learned in living for God. If somebody walks away from me, they walked away because they don't 
any longer play a part in my destiny. God is going to keep the people around me that have to do with my destiny. It is said in John they went out from us. Why? Because they were not of us. And if they go out from us, don't try to hang on to somebody that's trying to get away. Open your hand and let it go. Because you can't fix everybody's problem. You can only control you and what you do. And you have to make sure that you do the right thing. No matter what anybody else does. So don't let rejection tempt you to bitterness. That's the temptation of rejection. Is bitterness. It is allowing that to seed in you and to become something that it shouldn't be. It was his prayer. It was his way. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know what I've learned? I've learned that living a life of forgiveness is a whole lot better and happier than living a life of bitterness, of hatred, of anger, of resentment, of holding on to things and trying to resolve things and fix things and straighten out things. When people rejected him, he did not react negatively to them. He loved them and he kept doing everything he could for them. But you know what? He couldn't heal everybody because you got to believe, first of all, if he's going to heal you and not everybody believe. Now, some of you might feel, don't take out of context what I'm saying tonight, but whether they received him or not, he did his father's will. He lived a life of forgiveness. And I'm here to tell you that the best life you can live is to learn how to live a life of forgiveness. Open your hand and let it go. Don't keep hanging on to stuff that you need to get rid of. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. He was tested by the unbelief of those who knew him. The Bible said he came unto his own. And what did it say? And his own received him not. But to as many of them that did receive him. To them gave he power to become the son of God. Not everybody is going to believe in you. And when that happens, the temptation is to coldness. It is to isolate. It is to insulate yourself against people. But he didn't do that. He just reached for those that he could help. And that's what you and I have to learn in life is that there are people that are not going to accept us. They're not going to respond positively to us. But you got to do what you can for those that you can. And as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You know what I learned a long time ago? There are people that will even come to this church that I'll never be their pastor. I'll never be their pastor because they don't want me to be their pastor. Not you, but there are people that come that that's, that's just the way. You know what? That used to make me lay awake at night. I wrestled with God. How can I win them over? And I finally realized I'm probably not ever going to win them over. 
So what are you going to do? You're going to keep frustrating your life. You're going to keep getting up in the morning with ulcers and, and, and not having any sleep the night before because somebody doesn't like you. You know what, folks? If you're going to live like that, you might as well go buy stock in Prilosec, Pfizer, or somebody because you're going to need a whole lot of it before this world and this life is over with. There's a lot of people that are not going to respond to you. They're not going to embrace you. But you know what? Don't lose your life over them. Don't get in a corner and say, poor me. Just do what you can for those that you can and do the right thing and live for God. And those that receive you are the ones you can help. Amen. Does this make sense to anybody? The temptations of our trial. Jesus was tested by those who had wrong motives and insincere objectives. They came and they sought a sign of him. That's what they said. But the Bible goes on to say in Mark 8 and 11 that they really did it to test him. They weren't. It wouldn't have mattered if he had produced a turtle dove in the midst and out of a hat pulled a rabbit. They still would not have believed him or embraced what he had or represented. It was a trick of the enemy to try to somehow frustrate him and get his eyes off of what he was there for, always wanting some kind of proof of something. Have you ever been around people like that? It doesn't matter what you've done for them. It's never enough. I mean, you could... You could give them a thousand dollars today and next week they're going to be broke and they're going to come by and knock on your door and they're going to need another thousand. If you don't give it to them, they're going to treat you like dirt and they're going to talk bad about you and they're going to gossip and Facebook you and everything else they can. Why? Because there are some people that are just that way. They had no intentions of doing right. It didn't matter what Jesus would have said. All they were doing was draining his energy and using him for something for their own gain. They were not interested in doing right, and they also hindered others who were interested. They're not going to get in, but they're going to block anybody they can to get in. You know what the Bible said he did? He left them. He left them. He didn't keep hanging around. He just turned around and walked out of that. See, I'm going to tell you the greatest judgment that God can place on any life it's not to argue with them and wrestle them down to the ground and tell them what a reprobate and a sinner they are. The greatest judgment God has ever passed on anybody is when he just turned and walked out of their city and never said another word and never worked another miracle in their town, never opened another blind eye or a deaf ear or touched their families or ministered to their knees. There were times in his ministry when he just had to turn and walk away. And you and I need to learn that gift. You need to learn how to leave some places. And you need to learn how to leave some situations alone because you're not going to fix it. You're not, you're not going to fix it because they don't want to be fixed. Amen. Ah, uh, yes. They're not interested in being helped. They're going to be the same way 10 years from now that they are right now because they like being miserable and they like making everybody else they can be miserable and what they really like is attention. 
And if you'll just quit giving them the attention and just, he just turned around and walked away. He left. And that's what Mark said. Go read it. It's not, it's not just me being mean and hard. He just turned around and left them. Amen. He was tested. He was tempted to uh, do other, but he realized that it was not in the best interest of you and I to respond negatively to such a situation. He was tested by hypocrisy. My, there is nothing that grills my bread more than hypocrisy. I hate it. I hate, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. I hate people that speak one thing and live another thing. If you believe, if your heart is nails and you live it, Bless your heart. I love you and embrace you, but don't be hard as nails and then secretly live some secondary life. And I've seen far too much of that in my ministry. You know what? You may not like it, but what you see is what you get. I'm not changing for you or anybody else. And every new person that's ever come to this church, the first thing I tell them is, you look at what you see right here. If you don't like it, don't stay because I'm not changing for you. I'm not going to become liberal for you and I'm not going to become hard for you. I am here to serve God and do the best I can to help other people serve Him. But you better like what you see or don't mess with it at all. Amen. I hate hypocrisy. And we have learned as Pentecostals, and I'm sure Baptists and Methodists do it too, but we Pentecostals have a market on it. We have learned how to be good hypocrites. We can come to church, we can talk in tongue, then go home and chew somebody's head off or write something nasty on Facebook about them. Oh, yeah, I'm meddling now. Or we can come to church and act like everything's hunky-dory and then go home being mean as a junkyard dog to everybody in our life. That's hypocrisy. You know what needs to happen? You need to find an altar somewhere and get that spirit out of your life because even Jesus hated hypocrisy. And the greatest woes that he placed upon any of the cities were those that were steeped the most in hypocrisy. He said, woe unto thee, Sidon and Tyre, for it would have been better for you in the day of judgment than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah and all of those things that were judged back then because of your stinking hypocrisy. Amen. You know what it... In Mark chapter 12, this is what he said. He said they tried to catch him in his word. You ever been around people that it was like they were just a trap? They were just trying to catch something so they could run off and get on Facebook and tell everybody? I feel like I need to camp out here a little longer. Amen. You know what? I don't have time for that, and neither do you. Neither does this church. We don't have time to waste our energy having to try to satisfy hypocrisy when he doesn't like it to begin with. Let's get it out of our hearts. Let's get it out of our mind. Get it out of our spirit. Let's quit coming to church with our little tablet and and critiquing people and trying to determine whether or not they are in God's kingdom or not. You know what? You're not the one that's going to judge them in the end anyway. And neither am I. You know what? The best thing I can do is love everybody and try to get everybody I can as close to God as I can. 
stand and tell them the truth and let God settle it all in the end. Amen. Praise God. Oh, I'm just just beating the bush tonight. Praise God. He was tempted to avoid the cost of the cross. The cost of the cross. The living of his life. He was tempted to do it another way without paying the price. John chapter 12 verse 27, he talks about the struggle that was going on in his humanity to avoid this. And he said finally, but this is the cause for which I came into the world. The cost of living right and doing right has never changed. Settle that today. Pay the price do right. Amen. He was tried by people and popularity. He was tried by the unfaithfulness of his friends. They slept while he prayed. The temptation when that happens in your life, when people are unfaithful to you, the temptation in our life is to become angry and that anger seep out of us as a poison that affects not only our lives, but the lives of so many others around us. You know what I remember about Jesus? Is that in that trial of the garden, when his disciples had gone to sleep, and he had begged them so earnestly to pray with him, three times he had come to them. He finally came and he said, sleep on He remembered the grueling day. He remembered the weakness of their flesh. And he said, it's all right, guys. I've already settled the score. I've already paid the price. He was tried by the fickleness of people, people that walked away from him, people who he had given to. The same crowd that cried Hosanna one week, cried crucify him the next week. But you know what? Even when people walked away from him, he never quit loving people. Amen. He never quit loving people. You know what it's hard to do, especially pastoring a church and people leave. It's hard to keep a right spirit because you get in your mind, what's wrong? Why why are they doing that when you poured so much time and energy and prayer and you prayed for God to bless them and God blesses them and then they just pack up and take off and go without a word. There's no explanation for it all. And you know what? It doesn't just happen to a preacher. It happens to all of you. There are people that come and go from your life that you invest in and you pour it, but they're people, they're flesh, and we forget that sometimes. But whatever people do to you, don't ever let them make you or cause you to quit loving people because the day you quit loving people is the day you start to die amen praise God I I need to close He he was tried by his own inner struggles how long he said have I been with you and you still don't get it people that he had poured his life into invested energy. And when that happens in our life, the temptation is to become hard and mean and vindictive. You ever been around anybody that's hard and mean? I promise you, if you trace their life back, you'll find somewhere in their life where people 
tested their patience and people, uh, they, 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 did, they didn't get what they were about or they walked away from them and abandoned them in a critical time and out of that come a hardness. Amen. Make sure that you keep a tender heart and a right spirit. He was tested by his surroundings. The Bible speaks of him eating with publicans and sinners. Because of that, he developed a reputation among the Pharisees as being anything less than a savior. Weak people, incompetent people, troubled people. And when that happens, when people uh, talk about you like that and you're just trying to help them, you know, you're just trying to reach out to them. If you're not careful, you're tempted to isolate yourself. But listen to me, don't ever quit being a giver to people because that's what he did. He just kept giving. If you're not careful, you become difficult to live with and you're tempted to escape. Oh, God, help me tonight to keep a tender spirit in my life no matter what happens. And I'm closing. He was tempted by his own capacities and energy, his own abilities. The Bible said in Matthew 26, 52 that he could have called 10,000 angels when he stood before Pilate and Pilate's arrogance and all that he could do to him. Don't you realize what I could do to you? I can release you or I can send you to your death. And Jesus turned to him and said, you, you don't even know who you're talking to. If I wanted to, I could call 10,000 angels to my aid right now. Amen. Listen to me. When you forego the opportunity to do something and use your powers wrongly, when you could do something but you don't, that in itself is a great victory. You know what? There's a victory in not saying some things. You don't have to apologize for it. That's right. Amen. There is a victory in not doing a thing, although sometimes you're the only one that knows it's still worth winning. Sometimes you just have to take things wrongly. Amen. Take it when it's not easy to take it. Be like Jesus who humbled himself to the sufferings of the cross so that he would be an example to you and I when we go through our trials. And we're tempted. When we are tempted. When we're tempted to quit. You know what? He was tempted to quit. They said, if you will come down, we will believe you. One verse in Matthew, he said, if you, uh, you, you saved others, save yourself. That's the temptation that we all struggle with is saving ourselves to avoid the suffering. How often we are tempted, but he hung in there and he stayed focused on the goal. Listen to me, folks. We have something to do tonight, and that is bear the image of that one that has lived before us. Amen. And we are tempted in our trials, and there are pressures that come to us to become less than what God has called us to be. But don't give in and don't give out and don't give up. Just hang on a little longer. And I'm going to close with this. Stand with me. This is what we learn from his trial. And this is what you and I need to keep in mind when we're in the midst of our struggles.
He taught me that led people are tried people. Amen. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. But he doesn't tell you where those steps are going to lead you. They may take you to the furnace or they may take you to the prison or they may lead you to Rome. But wherever they lead, there will be trials. Amen. But he taught me that led people are tried people. He taught me that you don't get to pick your trials. Remember that? Amen. You don't get to pick your trials and you don't get to pick the time of your trials. You don't get to tell God, Lord, I don't need this today. <laughs> I don't need this right now. You don't get to pick the length of it, whether it's a night or a week or a month or a year. Job, somebody told me not long ago that they calculated that the trial of Job lasted over nine months, nine long months. You know what? That really nothing. I know people that's trial has lasted a lot longer than that. But though weeping endure for a night, joy's coming in the morning. It will not last forever. He stayed his rough wind in the day of the east wind was his promise. He taught me that all trials are good to show us things that we need, integrity, to reveal the worth of our life. Because he has suffered, we are not alone in our suffering tonight. If you are alone, you're not alone. He suffered without ever being destroyed by his suffering. Man, that is so powerful to me. He suffered without being destroyed by his suffering. And listen, folks, your suffering is not going to destroy you. He lost nothing by the fire of his trials, but the things that were unneeded. He survived the flames and so can we. There are some times that we think this is going to consume us, but really all it does is consume what's not needed. Amen. And we come out. Better, tried, proven. All the fire takes is what's not necessary. What a life to live. We learn from him that you can come out better, not bitter. Amen. You can come out better, not bitter. He was not a loser in his trials, but a gainer. He gave everything to gain the church. He gained you. Amen. You're worthwhile. And you know what? I believe tonight that if he had it to do all over again, he would still have done it the same way. Amen. Because that's how much he loves you and I. And he's trying to tell all of us that whatever trial you're going through, you're going to come out of it better than you were. If you'll just learn to respond, look, go, I'd challenge you to go back and read the New Testament and just look at the many times that things adversely happened to him and see how he responded to them. What he could have done, but what he did. He didn't become angry. You don't see any bitterness. You don't see him lashing out at people. You see him loving, forgiving, embracing extending his mercy over and over and over and over again. What an example.
Listen, folks, if you're frustrated tonight, look up. If you're hurt tonight, look up. If you're aggravated tonight, if you're tired, look up. He's been there. He knows what that's like. And he knows the temptations that are resident in that kind of trial. To give up, to turn back, to become cynical, to be bitter, to lash out, to hurt. He knows all of that. And the Bible said he did all that so he could be an example to us. So that we would know that we can do it too. Amen. God's going to help all of us be better. He's going to bring out of us that purity, gold. I love the verse of Scripture that speaks of that day in which he will gather his jewels. Amen. That's what he talks about, you and I, his jewels. Whatever process he has to take us through to get us to that state of purity. We ought to lift our hands and say, thank you, God, for trusting me with these trials. Thank you, God.